Hello and welcome to Flamenco Attitude, the podcast that brings you all things flamenco. Now, you may have noticed that I don't say this is the weekly podcast because in case you haven't noticed, we've been missing for a while, but we're back and promise you we have a very good topic to start on because we have actually never discussed up at this point what Marcos considers and what many, of course, people consider the greatest flamenco performer of all time, of the genre. Of course, we're going to talk about Camarón de la Isla, and we have a lot to cover in this, what I hope it will be a very, very lengthy episode, actually. Uh, we have the new museum to discuss. We have a lot of tracks that we will pepper throughout. Uh, for our listeners on Spotify, you will hear this. Uh, there are also stories of stamps, we're going to talk about books. We're going to talk about his relationship, his great relationship with Paco de Lucia and how that went throughout the years. Of course, Tomatito is also uh, the second best performer alongside Camarón. Let's dive into it. It promises to be a good one. This is uh, Talking of a Legend, Camarón de la Isla. Where do you start? Well, you mentioned I- the museum. At the, at the beginning. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. Maybe, do you know what? Don't start with the museum. No. I want you to tell me the first time you came across Cameroon. Some, let's start with something personal. Well, I came across him as a child when I was learning the guitar. Mm. Um, when I was about 12 or 13, one of his records. It inspired me incredibly because I thought, who can play and sing like that? It's just absolutely amazing. Yeah. And... Um, so I was just a young boy and I got a record of Camarón. I thought, his voice is incredible, the guitar playing is amazing and that's how I started, I suppose, what you could call a love affair with Camarón. Mm. You were just a young boy with a dream. Yeah? Yeah. And uh, what did you hear first? And what sparked your interest? What piece of music? Uh, I think the way that he was able yeah. to sing... Bulerías. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'd never heard anybody do the bulerías the way he did it. Then, of course, the way he did tangos. Because, of course, at that time, we couldn't afford LPs, so we just had EPs and singles, so you only got two tracks. And it was the 70s. So was. He, was, he was just coming up. Yeah, though I think you could almost say that by, by the late 60s, he was already making his mark, yeah. but not internationally yeah and then it it all started and then you decided to be the most devoted listener and follower of Camaro well as as you know I mean you're you're in my house is there a a single thing that Cameron has made that I haven't got no No. and we're going to talk about (laughs) items that you um that you own but speaking of which after your house the second greatest museum of Cameron is now actually opened are you going to tell me about La Isla, San Fernando, and yeah. what's happening there? The new museum. Yeah, I mean, you've been you've been I've to, been to you've been to La Isla with, with me, and you, you've seen all the other things. You've seen the yeah, mausoleum, I, and I've seen the mausoleum. Uh, we we went to a restaurant that he frequented. Yeah, yeah so. the Venta de Barcas. Yeah, yeah. Well, the museum has been coming for years. Every year it's coming. I think we've talked about it, actually, a little bit. You know, the plants and everything. And then it doesn't come. Yeah. Uh, It was going to be in this old uh, run-down hospital, church, everything. Then it was going to be in another location. 
uh, and the years kept going by, then I, I'd see a placard saying, here is going to be the new Camarong Museum. And then another year goes by, but now it is, it, it is actually there. Yeah. And it's next to the Venta de Vargas that, that you're talking about that you went to. And you're probably going to say to me, well, what's in it? What is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you haven't been yet. I haven't been there yet. Yeah, no. but you will go. Yeah. Um, I mean, in, in it, I, probably the greatest thing inside the museum uh, is the Mercedes car that he used to tour all the, the pueblos in all the villages with, with tomati, tomatito. Yeah. They sort of not only toured the villages, but they sometimes lived in this car. And he kept all his lyrics in there, um, obviously tomati's guitar. So the car is probably one of the great things that that's in the museum. And then you've got his collection of guitars. Which is, but how many do you think? Oh, Well, I haven't been there, but uh, he had so many guitars. You see, people associate him as a singer, but he was a big fan of the guitar. Yeah. He loved the guitar. So many, and many makers would have given him a guitar, you know. So he's got loads of guitars. All the guitars are there. And the other thing about him uh, is that he was obsessed with recording, practicing recording things. Mm. Going to, You've uh, actually showed me images of how many cassettes he has and he yeah. takes them apart. And, yeah. yeah. So there'll be all of his machines that he did all the recordings on. Because he would go, he'd find out about an elderly man in some village that could sing one particular style and he would go out and record it. And then he would come back. And so he had endless, you know, tape recorders we're talking about, yeah. you know. the So there'll be all of those. I can't say for definite because I've not been there yet. I can't wait to go this you will, summer. When you go, you'll have to record me a little bit of a tour I around will, it. I, I would But do that. of course, San Fernando is great, many great places uh, there, such as... Um, The obviously the museum now the Peña yeah. that we went to uh, his father's forge yeah. and the church where he was married El Carmen yeah yeah do you think there is a, or is there actually a blue plaque or something like a plaque well uh, there, are, there, are, there are there are plaques on all of the buildings yes where he yes yeah. on the forge and everywhere it is is a plaque and I can give you a funny story that I many many years ago when I was going to write a book about him uh, I thought well I've got to go on the tour uh, and so I gathered uh, in, the, in the area where you have to go and it's quite hard to get on the tour because they don't allow that many people and that all of the people there thought I was the guide because <laughs> you probably wanted to be and you kind of stood out yeah and did they ask you you know what's happening yeah, yes they asked you <laughs> God. Well, let's up the, let's set up the mood then uh, for the start. If you were now back in the 70s on a hot summer's day, you're literally in the Mercedes that he, he drives and you're driving through uh, the Andalusian uh, countryside. What would you listen from Cameron? Oh, I've listened to some tangos that he's done. One of his great tangos pieces, I think, you know, yeah. It's funny you're saying, you know, hot summer's day because I, I, I'm very privileged in a way because I, I've seen him um, in, on 
two occasions yeah. very important and there are many people that talk about Cameroon but they've never really seen him yeah uh, so I actually saw him in uh, in Los Palacios Villafranco this is part of Seville of Sevilla when he performed with, with tomati as we say not tomatito we, we say because he's, he's a bigger tomato now tomati mm -hmm. and um I saw him walk across the the the, air, the field where we were going to have the concert, and he carried the guitar of Tomati. It was so noble. And then I saw him many years later, when he wasn't in such good health, in a great theatre in the centre of Seville, Lope de Vega. Um, so I, I'm privileged in a way that many people talk about Camarón. But if you ask them, have you actually ever seen him perform, they can't say they have. Yeah. Well, we will do the second best thing, which is listen to some tangos. Speaking of great records, um, obviously his tangos are great, but not nearly as important as what is regarded the most important flamenco record, La Leyenda del Tiempo. Why is La Leyenda del Tiempo well, this big, this huge. Yeah, I mean, th this is ironic, Gallia, because, I mean, we're looking at... Uh, you, you at the original. The, the original. I'm yeah. on my table here in front of me. You have the vinyl. I've got the original. Back from 79. Yeah. Um, when it came out. Yeah. A, a producer brought them all together, Ricardo Patron, to, to make this record. And at the time when they were out in the outskirts of, of, of Seville making it, Camarón got concerned because he, he thought, well, what, you know, what are we doing, Tomati? What is this? Because they were bringing in sitar, you know, mm. uh, bongos, electric bass, all, of, the, all, of, these, all of these things. Yeah. They have nothing to do with flamenco, usually. Yeah, and, yeah. He, and uh, you know, Tomati just said, well, don't worry, you know, We'll just go with it and see what happens. Now, the record was made, and then there was a lot of difficult publicity about it. In what way? Well, it, I mean, it wasn't a typical flamenco record. Uh, people, some people didn't, they bought it and they didn't like it. Mm -hmm. Now, the, the weird thing is that as the years have gone on, it has become the inspiration for all flamenco artists. It's become a record that has changed the face of flamenco. How would you explain that to yourself, actually? I, I suppose it, cause it showed you you could move out of the tight strictures of flamenco and yeah. explore other frontiers to bring in more energy. And it did. It and really it did. did. Yeah. It Actually, you tell me that it almost became the Sar the Sergeant Pepper of flamenco. Oh, it's seen that. It's definitely. I mean, you know, people talk about Sergeant Peppers by yeah. the Be by the Beatles. Um this is beyond doubt, you know. I mean, I I I've I've got I've shown you here the original copy um upstairs. I've got endless box sets. Yeah. of this, you know. I mean, I could have brought those down, but it'd be too much to, but so this is I mean, I mean, look at look at the cover. We have literally just a single uh, profile picture of Cameron yeah. smoking with a little bit of light, yeah. and that's it. Yeah, and I, I knew the man who took that picture, Mario Pacheco. Hmm. 
and I don't know, it's something about this record. Uh, having the sitar on it made it very special. Uh, so many things about it, and people now worship this record. You know, it's, normally, you see, if, if something came from the 70s, it would be too old. But even now, it's more modern than modern, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. And it's only <laughs> appropriate if we hear it for what it is. And what are you going to play then? Valiente Dilgium. You say that not many people have seen actually Cameron throughout his life. And I th I think even fewer people know about his life before he became Cameron. But you have explored his um, background for many years. So in a nutshell, where did he come from and how did he become Cameron? Well, obviously he was born in... Uh, what you call San Fernando, what he would call La Isla. Um, he was born into a, a very poor family. His father was a blacksmith. Um, his, his mother did cleaning jobs and things like that. Um, he started to perform uh, from about the age of six, and then he would start going to a place that you've been to, Galia, the, the Benta de Vargas, uh to to have uh, some chicken soup yes <laughs> did you <laughs> no i mean i think he did oh he, he? He, no he, no he did like chicken yeah yeah, yeah. um I, i can't remember no i think you had you had clams there we didn't had you? clams yeah. yeah you didn't have clams but i yeah. had clams yeah. yeah so he would go there and you got to realize that was the main entry uh into cadiz in those times mm -hmm. um and he would go there to perform to to earn some money uh very very poor background of course he was always dreaming of being a torero a bullfighter and that but he had the ability from a very very early age to sing incredibly and then he kind of set out to be well yeah i mean the the interesting thing is that he even as as, as a very young teenager he recorded a whole set of of tracks to kind of show what he could do before he went to Madrid to be to be an artist so he was already working on that as i said to as we said before he liked his tape recorders and all of this and they found uh, many years ago some old tapes that he'd made which he then produced into into a cd yeah. so he was working at it even then and you know the great thing about these you can hear that traffic Going past going the Ventibus, yeah. Yeah, but of course he didn't start immediately as a singer, did he? It wasn't a start. He um, was a, a palmist. Yeah, uh, uh, somebody that does the clapping. Yeah, because you see, if you, it doesn't matter how good or you are, if you're going to Madrid as a very young person, they're not going to let you uh, do the singing straight away. Well, maybe not then, maybe now. Yeah, well, possibly you have to start by doing the percussion yeah. with your hands and having to put up with very late nights doing all, all the clapping and then probably thinking, well, I could actually sing better than this person, but you're not allowed to because you're not in that mm, zone. Yeah. <laughs> so what what would you recommend from his early, early records then? Literally first records or something? Well, from his early records, I think uh, Canestera, which reflects his mother, because she was a basket weaver. Uh, weaver, yeah. 
how important, how faithful was the meeting with him and Paco de Lucia? Well, it, it's interesting actually because people associate them as a unit but but in reality they they made re- they made records together um Paco didn't perform for Camarón in 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 the concerts in the festivals and things like that because Paco was already a major international artist yeah so uh, their meeting Paco w- was in love with him he thought he was just unbelievable he wanted to be like him but the reality of their life together was the recording studios where they made i don't know off the top of my head it's about 10 or a dozen lps which completely changed everything, everything in flamenco because nobody had ever done this type of thing and they they made all these records absolutely unbelievable albums which are still like a blueprint for anybody entering flamenco today. Yeah, so these are two people, one of them incredibly already world famous, who already put flamenco on the international map. On the other hand, we have um, someone that he aspires to, and he is not as mega yet, but he saw in him the future of... Well, you know, because Paco de Lucia always wanted to be a flamenco singer. Yeah. But he can't. Why? But he he was a brilliant in what he did anyway. Well, it's like everything. Yes, he was the most brilliant guitarist. Yes. But he wanted to be able to sing like Camarón. Well, I bet Camarón couldn't couldn't play as well as Paco. So. Uh, well, mm, he he could play quite well actually. <laughs> but well, it's not it's not you know obviously it, there are differences yeah. and they I feel they complemented each other quite well yeah. and they re- revolutionized everything yeah. uh, in the art but how, how do you think it kind of happened was it who approached who I guess well he, I mean Paco had been going to Moron a lot Moron de la Frontera to, to watch Flamenco and then it, a, a, he, he'd heard about Camarón and they met one evening and they just linked and they formed the most incredible relationship that you could have. Because if you listen to those records, nobody is going to be able to make anything like that again. Yeah. And I know that sounds crazy. I, I always tell you this all but the time. I'm afraid it's not going to happen again. People make records, but they're not going to be able to make 12 records like that. Only 12 records? Something like that, yeah. Not not 12 albums? 12 albums, something like so, that, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, and what would if if there is a staple record, what is that? What, the, their best record. But the, the the problem is they've all got the same names. The same names. Well, yes, because they they changed the original names to Camarón con Paco de Lucia. You know, um, so it's it's very hard for me to. Change. I I would go if choose I was, one. Well, I see. I, I would go for one from the, for the earliest one from 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 sixty nine. Which is I don't know the <laughs> name of it. You put me on the spot there. The, they t- they took off the original names and called them all something else. But of course, another staple um, collaboration was with Tomatito. Yeah. Well, Tomati, as we call him. He he said, 
I was his guitarist. And by that he meant Cameron had many guitar players when when he did festivals and things, but the real person that stood out, you know, was him with Tomati. Even more than Paco. Well, because Paco didn't play with him in the in the villages. I mean, we're talking about yeah. What 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 exactly do we mean when we separate? Well, we're talking about the flamenco festivals. Yeah. Yeah. These are massive festivals in in the era of the seventies and the eighties, where a mayor of of a, of a pueblo of a, of a village decides right, I'm going to really put some cash in here and mm-hmm. put on a big one in August or July, you know, when the heat is there. Yeah. And uh, and I've got a whole lineup, but at the end of the lineup, we're going to have Camarón. Yeah. On the poster. Yeah. Yeah. And the person who played for him was to always. Yeah. Was was he the uh, the player even of songs that Camarón recorded with Paco de Lucia? Yes. Yeah. And of course, it, it's all by it's like many things in life. It's all by accident because. Tomatito was living in, in, obviously he's from Almeria, and one day Camarón came to perform in a town in that in that uh, region, and the guitarist that was supposed to play for Camarón had been called away for uh, military duty. So they said to, to Tomatito, who was very young then, you will have to if you can play for Camarón. And I think it was in a gymnasium. And late, much later on, Tomatito has said, if I really th- had thought about this, I would have been too nervous. Yeah. But because I was so young... How young? I think he was about 15. Yeah. I just went and did it. Yeah. How would you compare Tomatito with Paco? Well, they're very different. I mean, one is a gypsy guitarist, one one is a, a non-gypsy guitarist. So they, they play in a very different style. I mean, Paco de Lucia is a great composer, incredible uh, musicality, tones, you know. Uh, Tomatito plays in a very, very different way, uh, more like the way I play. Um, he He's very, very different. It's it's a different style altogether, but yeah. I mean he would have a, and he I mean he 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 played he played with with Paco. I mean he's got a completely different way of interpreting flamenco. Yeah. To to Paco. Yeah, yeah, and uh, of course it doesn't it doesn't end with the little villages. No. We go on no, big stages. I know what you're going to well. say now. You're going to go Paris. Well, maybe. Yeah, I mean, can you believe this? You know, you're talking about. Audiences that you might get at a football stadium, yeah, they go over there and the newspapers put him on the front and say he's he's the uh, Mick Jagger of flamenco. And and did did Mick Jagger know about this? Well, he got to hear about it. He got it. to hear about it. Yeah. Was he ever interested? Well, he was. Um, <laughs> the, the, the the there's a couple of funny stories about this because. A, a journalist said to to Cameron, Mick Jagger thinks you're fantastic, mm-hmm. and he would see Mick Mick Jagger, and and he said, "Oh, well, I like him as well." Yeah. And then after the journalist had gone, he said to his aide, "Who is this Mick?" <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so you, you, you mean to tell me that he didn't know of the... No. And it's the same as the story we're going to get on to a little bit later, is he, he didn't even know really about the Beatles. How is uh, that possible, Marcus? Uh, well, it's, it's, I'm afraid it's true. Yeah, but how? Well, he, he, did, he lived in a different world. Yeah. Yeah, but um, I can tell you one good thing of, of, about uh, the story of Mick Jagger. He, Mick Jagger gave him um, a, a coat, a very special jacket of his, because he was so in awe of his ability to sing. And Camarón had it. Yes. He wore it. Yes. Even though he didn't <laughs> quite listen to the music. Well, you like it when when he turns to an and says, who is this Mick Jagger? <laughs> so um, a good uh, example of a song with Tomatito is probably... Well, I think the, the live album they did. You're putting me on the spot. I never know the names of these albums. Marcus, I should I should have got things. them all down here. You should here. know these things. Uh, I will help you later with that one. Now, you've talked to me a few times about um, the tattoo that he got. Mm. Because he got that tattoo, unfortunately, when he was in prison. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was a... A, a situation that he ended up in in the prison in Ilayla. Um One of his great phrases at the time was, you know, a prophet in his own territory is not worth anything, you know. And the only reason he's put Layla on the map is he's in this situation. He chose to put a tattoo on his hand uh, I presume he did it with a biro, I don't know. Um, and it's become one of the most famous tattoos in the world. And it, it brings together, as you can see, I've got it there, it brings together the Star of David and the Arabic crescent, La Luna in Crescente. La Estrella de David y La Luna in Crescente. And his idea was that those two things together represent the gypsy people now i was only watching a cooking program the other day on of course you on under the sea in television yeah. and there was an award-winning chef and he got both of those things on his fingers right tattoos on his fingers now this tattoo can be seen on the walls in the Czech Republic, in anywhere you go, you'll see it. But why, you, you're certain that he's the first person who got these symbols together? Yes, yes. And it's now been, as far as I know, amalgamated to be on the gypsy flag with the Wheel of India. Yeah, well, that's quite... I mean, to me, it was, um, it was interesting to find out. Uh, that he, first of all he did it himself you know he decided on it yeah. uh, and and the fact that he did it anyway uh, it's it's interesting why he wanted to do it well, how did he well he was probably quite annoyed about it yeah yeah but um have you seen it galia have you actually seen the tattoo on on, on his hand on his hand yeah yeah yeah, yeah. The, yeah. it's it's on his left yes that's right yeah. on his left um hand yeah on the, between the thumb and the finger yeah. Yeah. And that's his only. Yeah. His only tattoo. Yeah. He doesn't have yeah. anything. But else. the incredible thing is, um, we're, we're probably going to watch a film later on after this, where 
young boys went to the tattoo places everywhere after he after he died to have it put on their backs on their arms everywhere you go i was only recently in a, in a in a small village um in in el gasto and a school teacher came up to me and we sat down a retired school teacher and he rolled up his sleeve and there was the tattoo yeah Maybe you can then recommend a song of Cameroon <laughs> that contains moon or stars. Mm, well, I, I think you should go for uh, his last LP, El Potro de Rabia y Miel. Yeah, but which song? Oh, yeah, well, choose the Buleria, always. We have watched films, we've actually made... Uh, a special episode on flamenco films and I have some favourites there as well um, and we're going to talk about uh, a documentary but I'm interested to know about your uh, stamps collection <laughs> because that yeah this is one thing that's always uh, curious when when a stamp is issued yeah. on somebody that means the country recognises them yeah. as an as important a national, as a national figure as yeah, a very national important treasure. person yeah. so what is the story with that? well I started writing a book about Cameroon and I needed uh, to find the stamp and I couldn't get hold of the stamp anywhere because you imagine this was obviously issued in, in 1992 and I was, I was writing this book in about 2006-ish. So a man in Cadiz <coughs> said to me, uh, I've arranged for you, it's quite easy for you to get this stamp go to it's what's called the Palacio de Comunicación, the huge post office in, in Cadiz. And he said, go in there and you'll be able to get a copy of that stamp. So I, I believed him. <laughs> so I queued up, got my ticket, and I said, oh, I've come here to buy the, the, the stamp of Cameroon. So the person said, what? No, I have to get the manager. So the manager came. And said, you must be mad. This stamp was issued in 92. That is many years ago, he said. But so these are rare stamps? Well, yeah, I thought so at the time. I have seen it. So what this person had done is sent me on a deliberate, typical caddy thing to get fooled. Mm. And then when I met, went back in the evening, he'd actually ordered up from Madrid this special... Like a, a folder with the Cameron stamp in and Lola Flores and everything. And there's only one design. Is that what you say? Yes. One design. Only one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have got. I've managed to purchase a few others uh, since, but he ha he he took a great because his his actual brother worked for the post office, so he knew to send me on a fool's errand, as we mm. say in English. Yeah. Knowing that in the evening I'd say, well, I went there and they didn't know what on earth. I was talking about, yeah. and then he could go to the boot of his car and say, oh, maybe this will interest you. Why did he do that? Well, this is, this is Cadiz. You've been to Cadiz. But you don't regret making the effort? No. no. And, uh, you know, it, it's in the museum yeah. up, upstairs, yeah. This is the first greatest museum, obviously the one in Laisley, the second greatest museum, yeah. the first is yours, yeah. uh, which will probably show me one day. 
We'll do a recording from there. Well, we're not open in the. Uh, you're not open for business. <laughs> um, and yes, I have actually watched a few films with you, yeah. and we had a, an episode. But there is a documentary then. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the first thing that happened with Cameron was the, the biopic, which is um, it's quite a, it's an amazing film. That, um, there may be issues of how accurate it is. What is it, it is. called? I think it's just called Cameron. Mm. You're putting me on the spot. No, I'm not. You, you should know these things. No, I don't know those, not the titles of all these items. Um, it, it, was, it was very interesting because I went out to do uh, recordings with the public to get their reactions to it. So almost the, the week it, it first came out. And then there's another documentary, which is a completely different look on things. Um, I can get the names for these, the exact names for this for you later on. But um, So one is like a biopic, and another one is about a, a, a Japanese girl. We watched that one. Watched we we that? had yeah, it in yeah, the episode, yeah. yeah. And now there's been many, many. I mean, and then, of course, we've had in recent times uh, the Netflix series. What is that about? Well, it's every, it's every part of his life. I think it's about a ten-part series. I can't tell you, I don't have Netflix, but they've done a, a massive series on Cameroon. Yeah, yeah. So he is um, a legend beyond doubt. You're the proud author of one of the books written about his life. Him. Yeah. Uh, now don't, your impressions. don't talk to me about books. Why? Because you have only everything under the sun published about. I have Good to. and bad. I have, I have to have everything. Good and bad. Good and bad, yeah. Yeah. So as soon as an, another one is coming out, I have to get it. Now, you can't believe it. I, I wouldn't even like to say how many. We've got to be looking at 20 or 30 books, yeah, um, about Cameroon. Um, there, there never seems to be any end to it, and then I have to get it. Now, there's one book that I wanted, which it, it was... It's, well, actually, there's two, there's two books, actually. There's two interesting stories, and... Uh, there was a book that I always wanted, which was uh, a copy of the second book ever written about him. And I found somebody that had it in the United States that wanted to to sell it. And I got in touch with this person. And the person said to me, <clears throat> I would never sell it to a, an English person. Right. I thought, oh, okay. So I had to find another way of, of, of getting this through... Uh, a United States friend of mine, and there was another book which was extremely expensive at the time. You, you're talking about, you know, in in the hundreds of pounds, and um, I ordered it from the from the United States. Strangely enough, and it never came. And somebody said to me, "You're mad. You'll never get that book." And many many months later, there was a big thud through the letterbox. <sighs> And there was the book. There was the book, and it had been sent by ship. And the interesting thing about it was, it stank of old cigar. Yes, of smoke. course, because it's a very, very old book that this person probably didn't even read. But you did. Yeah. You did all of it. Oh, yeah. It's a beautiful book. Yeah. And since then, I've had to get every single book. As far as I know, uh, Galia, I have got... 
99% of every all books of written on, on Cameroon. Of everything ever, ever yeah. done. Yeah. Uh, not to mention the other little bits like, um, well, we talked about, obviously, uh, stamps, uh, you have uh, pins, uh, now you have I know earrings. Now I knew you were going to get into that. Yeah. Now, can you believe how many key rings it would be possible to collect on Cameroon? I dread to I just I just dread to think what you've done in that room. How how cluttered is it with keyrings? It all started after his death that you had a set Mother Teresa, the Pope and Cameroon. And after that, endless. But no you see the interesting thing about this is I've never seen a key ring of any other flamenco artist. There must be some. No. Well, there could be, but I've never seen it. Hmm. And you know what I'm like, I would have bought it. Yeah, but nowadays, anyone can make a, ring, a key mm. ring. I think it's a respect thing. You, you've got to be really a god to have a key ring. <laughs> Marcos! No, to have a key ring, have your face on the key ring, right? Yeah? I don't know, I mean... Because key rings are quite common. They are. But the things that go on them are unique. In the Andalusian culture, you can't just put any old thing on a keyring. Right. But in, Does that make sense to you? Well, I, I feel in if, if we talk about the world, in, yeah. in the world, yeah. uh, worldwide, you'll be able to find keyrings of Paco de Lucia and maybe some other people. Hmm. I'll pass on that part. Right. <laughs> and... Um, if I have to choose, personally, if I have to choose a favorite song, it will always be, for me, Soy Gitana, always. Even though it's probably not the typical Andalusian song. Yeah, I mean, it, and, and it's, it's a strange episode. It's a bit like when we were talking about Mick Jagger. Um, Cameron reached a point where his recording company said, look, you're the, you're the number one artist, but you're not selling anywhere near how many records the Gypsy Kings are. Then how are you number one artist? Well, oh, in his in, company. In, yeah. in flamenco. Mm. Um, we're going to have to do something about this. And, uh, okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to do a recording in Abbey Road. So to come along, what is Abbey Road? And <laughs> What is Abbey Road? It's, it's, it's where the where the Beatles have made all their... Yeah. And he said, well, you know, why do we have to go to Abbey Road? You know? So that's the background to Soy Gitano, mm. that uh, part of it was recorded in Seville, mixed in Abbey Road and all the rest of it, and Cameron came to London. Now, that record uh, did become a best-selling. I know you like it, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, uh, because it's weird. The reason the Abbey Road is... It's with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. They were there for that. Yeah, they're, they're playing the the background. Yeah. And he, it, so they kind of arranged everything, and here he was in London, just doing yeah. only one record. Yeah, one record. Yeah. That's but it incredible. became flamenco's best-selling record, and you got to bear in mind that flamenco doesn't sell many records. You know, the numbers are quite quite small compared with other music. Of course. But Soy Gitano uh, sold a lot of copies. Yeah. yeah. And he even got um, 
rearrangements and uh, reimaginations or whatever you would remixes from other people, yeah. from other artists. Yeah, yeah. And it's on. I mean, you know, I watch television, Spanish TV, all the, and it come, it pops up all the time. You know, pictures of him of Camarón recording it. However, yeah. when we were um, on our vacation, which seems to me like it was a lifetime ago now, uh, when we were there, what did we see on a poster for the airport? Reminds me. Volando Boy. Oh, yeah, 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 of course, yeah. Because, I mean, Volando Boy is what we call un himno. Yeah. It's an anthem. It has other significance. Of course, yeah. it does. And... Uh, but it will never be. You know, Sorgitano is much later on in his career. Um, it's a different approach to, to things, yeah? Because the Bolanda boy is, of course, from what we started with, La Leyenda del Tiempo. Yeah. And um, awards-wise, did he ever win anything while he was alive? Well, he won... Loads of awards all all across uh, Andalusia and Spain for his for his songs, but the problem is, or was, there is an award which El Yabi Yabi de Oro, or the uh, La Yabi de Oro, and the Golden Key. Yeah, the Golden Key of the county, and uh, it was always felt. He should have been given this. Now, this is awarded to somebody that's seen as the most important person in Flamenco. Um, La Yabi is like a, a key thing that somebody is not only so big, but their guardian or they're guarding all the songs and keeping them pure. So it was felt he should be given this award. Now, for various reasons of his life style and all this, he was never awarded this in his life. And then we had the big argument that they decided that he should be given it posthumous. You know, he, he should be given it after he he's he, now that he's died. He should still be given it. But people said, "Well, <clears throat> you can't give that award because he's he's not alive." How can he keep things pure? Because he's, yeah? So a number of big artists got together and campaigned the government of Andalusia that he should be given La Yabi Oro. And um, in the end, they thought, yes, okay, we'll have to give it to him. And is it still with him? Yes. It's it's still with him. Yeah, and it, and it's a weird, it's a weird thing because when you look back at the artists that have had it in the past, they have their picture and they've got this key in their hand, like a golden key. Mm. You know, it's it's a kind of a mythical thing about the song, but he was awarded it. Yes. Who are the other people in the lineup? Oh no, no, there's never a lineup. <clears throat> no, no, no. Who are the other people who had it kind of in the light, in down the years? Oh, well, Foforito has, has had it. Um, Antonio Mairena. All the all the greats have had it. Yeah. Yeah. But not many. 
it, it doesn't come up that often. Do you think it will be given up again, given out to somebody else? Well, the weird thing is, it started out as something which somebody in an inn decided who would have it, and it's moved from that to being an award that is decided by the Andalusian government. I presume the Department of Culture. Yeah. Yeah. Um, will somebody else get it? Yes, of course. Um, but there was a massive campaign for Cameroon to be given the Yabidi de Oro. Things are looking up, though. He lives on because only recently we received uh, notifications that people are very much still making programs about him. And you told me about the message that you received, that he's on Radio 4. Like, there are programs. Well, that, that's an incredible thing, that you've just arrived here and I've just turned off the radio and they're talking about him on... This is a program in England on the, the very posh channel of Radio 4. And somebody's just done a reporter's piece about him. I mean, so, he, you know, there'll be another album of stuff that we haven't got. There'll be another book. Uh, there'll be another commemoration in, 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 a, in a concert. There'll be something because, as I said to you before, He's the most important person in 300 years in Flamenco. Uh, nobody will ever surpass what he's done. What you've got to bear in mind, there are many types of songs, many cantes in Flamenco, about 300 different, you know, they say Flamenco is un árbol, a tree, and there's all these branches. And in his lifetime, he recorded at least one example of every single style. Now, most singers, even the top, can't do that. They can they specialize in small areas of of the songs. Do you think, or rather, do you hope that there are um, hidden, unreleased tracks that may resurface? Uh, there, there are always, always somebody who had a a little tape recorder who went up a mountain to a village where he was going to. Yeah, new things always come around of Camarón all, all the time. Um, I mean, the, the weird thing is that he he didn't he, he didn't appear. I mean, what I, we started by, I, I told you that I was proud that I'd seen him twice. It wasn't that easy to ever see him. But the people that have, have recorded little gems, little jewels of his canting. So he lives on. He lives on. We do hope that you enjoyed one of our most crafted episodes around Flamenco's greatest artist in 300 years, uh, who is, of course, Cameron de la Isla. Uh, an incredible life, even more incredible art that he has created. And we're really happy that we could do this because we really wanted to do it in a long while. Uh, but, of course, it has to come to a good fruition. We have to be in the mood to be able to talk about it. Uh, so that was it. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed the music, enjoyed the incredible facts that we have collected. Uh, some, Hopefully I will be able to link some of the more recent 
reports on Cameroon uh, that you can, of course, tune in and uh, hear and listen about on the BBC. Uh, but for now, uh, please enjoy the, um, enjoy the episode uh, again and the music as well. And until the next time, remember to always follow the beat. <laughs>